Welcome everyone to another episode of the Snap Hug Podcast. It's another lovely Wednesday and just after Thanksgiving, all I want to hear about is all the golf that Mike's played. Uh, we played some golf. We had a good run. It was a solid, solid grouping of golf, little public, little private. Obviously, the gem of the trip was MPCC Dunes, which hype is real. Course is incredible. Uh, probably one of the coolest par three holes I have ever played in my entire life which is number i believe 14 beautiful 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 hole but is that just because you made like a 25 foot birdie putt is that why it's such a no good no i was so geeked so i asked the caddy i was like hey i go are we playing the hole that tees off on the other side of 17 mile is that part of the dunes and he was like yeah he's like why i was like I'm, i've been so excited to play that hole so the tee box is basically right in a spot that's called like bird rock or something. So like if you're a golfer and you go to this point on 17 mile with your family, you see that tee box, you see the green, like, you know, what's up. Right. Oh, and yeah. I've seen it, seen it, seen it. And the fact that I got to play it, like we were walking across and I was telling my buddy Jordan, I'm like, I've never been so excited to play a golf hole in my entire life. Like this is, this has been on my list. The course and the hole have been on my list of places to do for a very long time. So yeah, MPCC was incredible. Merced, that new routing is just wildly good. We played the hay for a little warm up, which is always fun. We played Northwood, which told my buddy Jordan could not have been any better than what I wanted. Foggy in the morning, super moody and vibey. And then by holes like seven, eight, and nine, the fog lifted. You got a good look at the Redwoods. We got a Bloody Mary afterwards, talked to the bartender. We laughed and I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted for you. Like that is everything. And then we played Stonebray on uh, Friday, which got very, 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 very cold at the end. Yeah. I saw your Northwood photos and like the dew on the ground, the fog. Oh. It's like exactly what you want for that place. I was very jealous of all your amazing golf while I was sitting at home and it's freezing cold here today. So I'm not playing right now either. Uh, but you, yeah. today we have Andy Tupman. Another California guy. I mean, lives in California. You'll hear from his accent. He's definitely not from California. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't come out and join you for some of these rounds. So he is uh, someone we've wanted right away. We both knew we wanted him on the podcast. His nature photography is spectacular. He brings something else to the golf imagery that I think is needed where he's making more of an epic look and he's just getting into it, wanting to do some more stuff in that world. And I can't wait to see what he does with it. Cause I think if he can bring his vision of what he does with nature, Yosemite outdoor photography into the golf world, it's going to be different than we've seen. And I hope that he mm -hmm. gets that opportunity to yep same he is one person that i'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do i think people are going to start to recognize him a little bit more he's probably going to get some really cool opportunities coming forward but i couldn't agree more with everything you just said his eye the way he shoots the one thing that i really loved which i've been talking to him about doing more about here is in this nature photography world you have these groups that go out of like other photography sickos and they're going, waking up in the middle of the night, you know, to get to Yosemite super early. Like they want to wake up. They want to go in the cold. They want to get together and take awesome pictures. 
And I told them, I want that for golf. Like I want to get people together, not a paid event, just people who want to get together and take cool golf photos, whether you're playing the course or just walking the course. So we've been talking about that, trying to kind of sync up. He's about hour and a half for me, um, roughly. So trying to figure out when we can make that happen. But that's the thing that I really like is this camaraderie of people out there taking pictures together just to take pictures together and helping each other, which I think is awesome, which is the point of this podcast. Yeah. And like we talked about, and we'll talk about in the interview, but putting your information out there, putting your your settings when you post a photo so then people can go, oh, that's what they did to get that photo. And they can learn a little something. Uh, there's no reason to gatekeep. Like everyone can take an image. Let's all make everyone have better images. So I love that yeah. idea of the meetup too. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Also unrelated, if you want something with a SnapPuck logo on it, use code SnapPuck25 for Beedratty or Zero Restriction. And you get a discount, 25% off, and then you get a logo. So take advantage of that. Yeah, we need to stock up. I need to do some some zero restrictions and B-Draddy stock up. I heard the B-Draddy Athletic. Is that yeah. the new drop that he just did? Yeah. I've heard very, very, very good things about that. So that's I'm going to jump on that website. I'm going to use that code. And I'm going to check that stuff out because I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. I mean, the zero restriction stuff is on. Beatable as far as rain gear goes. Mm -hmm. I have one or two of the athletic shirts. I recommend them. Yeah. But sweet. But enough awesome. of that. Let's get to the interview and uh we'll talk to you guys soon. Keep snapping. Keep snapping. Welcome everyone to Snap Hook. We have an incredible guest on today, Andy Tupman. Welcome to Snap Hook. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You have been on our list of people to interview. Um, I think when we first started, it was like we kind of had our our top people like, hey, these are the ones we want to lay out. And you fell into that group. I think a lot of it has to do for me because aesthetically, your stuff is just awesome. And then this crossover you have between, you know, nature, national parks and golf and how it relates. But that's all stuff we'll get into. But very excited. Your work is incredible. Um, you're in, yeah, and you're in my area. We haven't connected, which is on me. Yeah, I know. You're just, you know, you're like an hour away. So we haven't looped together yet, but it's absolutely going to happen soon. And what's okay. nice about being out here in California is we don't have to wait for the winter to pass. We can make it happen anytime. Yes, that's the just, nice part. Just let me know. I'll fly out and join you guys. I got some time right <laughs> now. Let's get this going. Well, I was going I was going through the list of all the courses that he's played. I don't I just don't think there's anything left in California for you to play. You've pretty much played it all, bud. It, I've been quite fortunate to have played some some very nice courses. I would say that there are still some that are on the list that I'm obviously actively trying to jump on. But the list really started a couple of years ago when I had this idea of trying to play every McKenzie in the state. And there are some public courses that he's designed. There's one or two that he has redesigned and the rest of private. Some obviously very difficult to get on. So I know that some guys go for the top 100 and that's incredibly ambitious, but I felt like narrowing that down to a much smaller list, but still have the challenge of making the connections along the way. Um, that's what really spawned the idea. So that's kind of opened some doors, which has been, been really fun and um, obviously very, very nice to to see some fantastic golf courses. And I think um, with McKenzie specifically, it's like, you can't go wrong with that. It's just 
especially when you find the ones that have the original bunkering and things like that. It's just so unique and so special. So of those, we'll just get to it really. Just, let's just go with it right away. Which one of those has been your favorite? I know there's an obvious answer, but is that actually it? Yeah, uh, Cypress was a was a treat. Uh, I, I played it uh, two, three weeks ago. Um, we just had ideal conditions. There was no wind in the air that day. Uh, clear as could be, played the coastal holes right at sunset, obviously photographer's dream. So that was just walking in a dream, to be honest. Valley Club is the quintessential Mackenzie course. The clubhouse is fantastic. The membership there are incredibly kind. Pasa Tiempo, also the quintessential Mackenzie. The bunkering there, the layout, the back nine around the Barranca is just some fun. Could you, one, could I get that list? Because I would also like to do this. This sounds like a an incredible challenge. And two, how does something like a sharp park fall into your Mackenzie? Because it kind of is, but kind of isn't. So do you classify that as part of the Mackenzie tour? Yeah, so there's a couple of courses I think that were question marks. Cal Club, obviously Mackenzie um, read. I think as far as I know, he read it all the bunkering of the course. He didn't design the golf course, so for that reason, it wasn't part of my initial list. I haven't played Cal Club yet. It's possibly happening soon, um, but it wasn't part of my list. Sharp Park. There is still, as far as I know, twelve of his original greens on the course. There's not a lot of Mackenzie. Um, at Shark Park, unfortunately, the the holes closest to the ocean. I know it took out at least two or three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Hagen Oaks in Sacramento, which is about fifteen minutes mm-hmm. away, there's not a lot of Mackenzie there. At least I don't I don't feel the Mackenzie on the course. Mm-hmm. Um, they have two courses there, and, and the Mackenzie is called the Mackenzie course. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's his his memory is there, and um, you know there's, there's some hints of his bunkering still there but i think that they are actually about to start and i don't want to be the the source of this but i <laughs> i i believe that they are trying to get a, a restoration done there which would be I saw that. um a real treat yeah yeah yep. i saw that that would be really cool um well, if I, people don't know hagen oaks is out in like sacramento type of area sharp park is in pacifica san francisco location um, which those holes that fell off into the water are now like across the street and at sunset they're actually really 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 pretty holes to to photograph well i've made that flight in and like landed in for work in san francisco and knew that i would go straight over and play sharp park to get that evening sunset light (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely been on my my list of things to do yeah, it has the cypress trees. Um, there are a couple of green complexes that are tucked into these walls of cypress trees. Um, it really is. It has the bones to be fantastic. I know that they are currently raising money that will hopefully fully go towards the restoration of that course also. Yep. Well, let's let's talk about how this is all brought together. So doing a little bit of research on you, scrolling your Instagram, going to your, your website. Um, photography is fairly new for you, right? About 2010 is when you started to go down this journey. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. So 2010, I proposed to my now wife. And I think that's when I first jumped into the art form that is photography. And what I mean by that is gaining a respect and an admiration for framing of, of shots and symmetry and just expression through photography. So that was one of, you know, when you have a wedding coming up, you split all all the jobs in mind was to find a photographer. And I, I jumped into that head first. And that's what really spawned my interest of photography. And then a year after Ali and I got married, she took me to Yosemite for the first time for our one year anniversary. And that's when 
both of them merged into this real love of landscape photography. And obviously, if anyone has been to Yosemite, you you just can't wait to head back. And luckily being in the East Bay, uh, we were in Alameda at the time, you're only three hours from the valley. So lots of trips out there. Um, meeting other photographers that way, kind of like how, you know, the last two years, like I, I didn't know any golf photographers two years ago, but now I feel like I'm kind of nuzzled into this really small tight knit golf community. And that's how it was with the photography community as well um, for those first couple of years. So is that just you through Instagram, through different forums? Because now you walk around places like Yosemite and everybody's carrying a camera, right? But it's very interesting to pick which ones actually know like what they're doing with that one and which ones have the old Nikons with the pop-up flash that are just like snapping away. So it's like (laughs) trying to figure out who's who and like talking to people is interesting out there. Yeah, um, primarily through Instagram. My job at the time, uh, way back then, there were... Uh, communities for special interests. So if you loved soccer, there, there was a group of soccer people. There was a group for photographers as well and some very good photographers at my previous job. And I've met a couple of my good friends through there and we would take trips out there. And then you just, you know, there's a handful of of ideal points in the valley where you want to get those shots. The ones you see on Instagram, the ones you see hanging on people's walls in their homes, like you know where to go for those shots. You just organically meet other photographers in the park that way. And I met a lot of friends back then who I'm still friends with through sitting at Tunnel Valley at 6 a.m. waiting for that first light and going to Glacier Point for sunrise. And you just, you you can tell like who the photographers are. And obviously the iPhone has come a, a long way and they do fantastic things too. And I still want to try out the 15 Pro Max. That looks outstanding. But if you see somebody holding... A Canon with a 7200, you know that they probably know what they're doing. So yeah, especially of, when you yeah. get on one of those days, like I'm sure for the firefall, and you're just surrounded yeah. by so many people. And then, like, if people don't know your photo, the firefall is amazing, but it's like there are days when that happens. Is how many days is that actually the sun hits that waterfall at the right time? It's like what 12 days or something? It's it's about two weeks in the middle of February every year, and there's just so many things that have to align through mother nature and you have to have enough snowfall in the winter to create horsetail fall on El Capitan. And then you need the sun to be out. It can't be foggy. It has to just, there's so many ideal things that have to happen. The day I took that photo, it was pretty overcast that afternoon. And there was like a little of the falls and that 12 minute window began and I was with a friend of mine and we just looked at each other and we're like, shit, this is not going to happen. Like we only had one shot at it. And with about six minutes left, the sun in the distance just dipped underneath the clouds and just the entire wall of El Cap lit up. And what's so cool is everybody in the valley for those couple of hours are there for this one moment and you could just hear cheers and applause echoing through the valley and it just felt like this victory and everybody was celebrating at the same time so yeah it's to kind of you, you know when you when you know you have a good shot and you see it on your lcd screen you just get the euphoric moment and then to be able to go back and edit that um obviously also just really fun it's it's really fun when you know you have a good shot and the moments after that just wanting to edit right away in this case waiting three hours to get home (laughs) yeah so you have friends who are out here doing it with you are they experienced photographers as well are they new to it like are you guys truly or girls working together to be like you know as you're taking that photo 
maybe talking about, Hey, okay, what do you put your shutter speed at? What, you know, what do you got your aperture at? Like, you know, if somebody's using an ND filter or whatever, like, is there kind of creativity happening? Like, Hey, I'll get the photo. If you want to try like maybe something different, like a little bit longer exposure or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Sharing lenses, asking what exposure they're at. That's, I think when you're in a situation where you don't know exactly how to get that shot, just ask. We are a little tight in the community, but at the same time, like if you are together, just asking for help is like, no one's going to think any less for that. Um, mm. We're a very supportive group, this little like nature photography, travel photography group. In my case, I remember going out a lot of times with a buddy of mine called Jonathan Glight. His IG is uh, J Glight, G-L-E-I-T. Um, he told me a lot of what I was able to learn being out in the parks. I remember doing astrophotography over Half Dome in the valley and just asking him, like, what are you shooting at? Like, I don't know anything about astro. We waited until the Milky Way was arching over Half Dome and he was just you know, plugging away. And I just, I had no shame in asking him, like, you know, what are your settings? And I think that's something that I think photographers, especially those aspiring, like I'm still aspiring to be better. I'm not afraid to ask people questions, reach out to them on IG. And what's been great about the golf photography community is there are just so many incredible people who are open to chatting. And I've had guys who are willing to jump on video chat and go over certain things that are that I won't get into. But, um, but yeah, just the, the appreciation is, is there for the communities I've been able to be part of. What's an aspiration of yours from a photography standpoint? I mean, because if you scroll through and you see your stuff both on website and social, like it's really, really, really good. So what, I mean, like I know everybody's always trying to grow and get better. Like what, what's the next step for you? It's a very good question, which I think I, I wish I had a better answer for. I have a five-year-old, I have a wife who's fantastic. It's her birthday today. Um, so full of appreciation for her every day, but in particular today, but she's, you know, obviously if, if you jump on my my IG feed, I'm hopping around. I've been to Bandon this year. I was in Boston a couple months ago with the Flyers Club, played Myopia, mm -hmm. Essex County, down in Pebble quite a bit. I was a Dukes Club uh, member uh, before moving up to Sacramento. So a few trips down to Pebble. I've been to the Masters the last two years with my dad. And to sum that up, I, I'm not quite sure what I want to do with, with my photography. I know I would love to you know, go and shoot on tour. I feel like that would be something that I would fall into. And that's probably what I'm aspiring to be. And I know that you've had guests on who that's their living. And I'm chatting with those guys also to just get, you know, info on how that can happen. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where I'm still grinding. I'm out there just improving my work day by day and building that portfolio. It's kind of an interesting area up here in Sacramento because it's not San Francisco where you could just list courses that are globally known and they're fantastic. Sacramento is this kind of like little pocket where I think is untapped as far as photography goes. So there's a possibility to work with courses, but I think that jumping into a full-time golf gig and comparing that to what my income has been the last few years of my permanent job, it's hard to make that jump. Mm -hmm. um, but photography is what makes me happiest and it's finding that balance of how to make the jump now have you, you looked at any outside of golf because i mean you have such great nature stuff first of all i would love to see your approach to your nature photography where it's epic and you, you always do such a great job of having a person in there to ground it which i think is 
underappreciated. A lot of people do these shots is all landscape. And I think you always find a way to bring a person in. I would love to see that at a tour event, like a fine, <laughs> cause like no one really does that properly. I think everyone at a tour event, especially when you see these Getty guys and things like that, it's all a close shot of the player. It is, you you see, a, yep. and when you see people like Marsh and everyone else doing some different things, but I truly haven't seen someone bring what you do in your nature photography onto the tour in the right way. And I would love to see that first of all. Those are kind of ideas that go through my mind. I know that in some cases, especially on tour, you have galleries, you have these large groups following the players, which makes, I think, that isolated subject and a shot difficult. I'd say that maybe the Masters is probably where that is possible because they don't allow photographers or any like additional people inside the ropes. Um, so that would be a potential spot to get that kind of, that frame that you're thinking of and that I have certainly thought about as well. And honestly, that's the fun part of going out with your camera with with your golf buddies. Obviously, I'm always thinking about the pace of play. I don't want to hold anybody up, either in my group or the group that are behind me, if I'm like holding back for a shot. And I don't think I ever have that separation on a hole where the three guys or the two guys I'm playing with are, you know, 200 yards ahead of me and I'm just kicking back on the tee box for a shot or whatever. But I've certainly thought about what kind of shots I could get in that same headspace of, you know, in Yosemite at Taft Point, you got one person standing on the edge of the earth. Those kind of frames are something that I would love to play with in the golf world. And oh. uh, I know that um, at Stonebrae, you could probably get a lot of those shots, Mike. So maybe you just have to take me out to Stonebrae. Hey, <laughs> honestly, next weekend, you available? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll chat for sure. We'll yeah, uh, anytime. What point were you doing your outdoors photography, the nature stuff, and it was like, maybe I'll bring my camera on the course with me. And then as you're out there shooting, are you ever thinking about the stuff that you did when you were at Yosemite or Lake Louise or wherever it may be and how those features, those settings, that composition then translated to the golf course? Uh, first time I took a camera with me on the course was Augusta National for the Masters. And it took my dad both years. And I had always thought about taking my camera onto the course when playing. But at the same time, it was not really being confident in, in what I was shooting. And I think being able to do that first without the clubs, I think opened me to that idea of bringing it along with me every time I golf. What day did you go to the Masters? Obviously a practice round because you could take a camera with you. Yeah. So 2022, we went into the grounds Tuesday and Wednesday. And Tuesday was our first time there. My, my dad turned 70 a couple of years ago and he's in really good health, which is fantastic. And so I think when he hit 70, I realized there's a list of things that I would love to do with him. And obviously there are some golf items there on the list too. We played Pebble the weekend of his 70th. Oh, um, nice. It was both of our first times playing. And then very close underneath that was was going to Augusta. And from a photography standpoint, I have so much to thank him for because at times he was like holding the lens that I wasn't using while I was swapping lenses out. <laughs> he was trying to catch up with me. And, and obviously you hear that Augusta's, the elevation changes there are quite crazy and they don't really translate well on, on TV. No. Um, but yeah, there are some hikes out there. And he kept up with me, you know, end of day Tuesday, we when everyone was leaving the course, we ran down to the Amen Corner and there was just nobody there for the last slide of the day. There's a photo on my feed of the 13th green and just as the light was shining through the trees behind the green and there was no one around me for that. It was it was just this really surreal moment to be at Amen Corner with my dad at sunset 
with nobody there. And that's, that's something that's I recommend. Right. If you if you do make it out there, um, head back to a main corner and, until they ask you kindly to, to please leave. <laughs> well, and most um, people don't know that you can take a camera on practice round days. Mm-hmm. Like you can't take right. a cell phone, but you can take yeah. a camera in with you. So yeah. did you take your like full rig? Obviously you say you had multiple lenses. Yeah, there were no real regulations. I would say the only thing that was not allowed was a tripod. I, I remember reading that. I, I did extensive research before loading up my gear to go out there. But I think you can take DSLR lenses. You can take whatever you want out there. But yeah, I think the first year I took my 2470, my 85 1.2 and my Canon 5D3. This year I took 2470 and the 70 to 200. And I don't think I used the 2470 once. I, I yeah. took everything on my 70 to 200. Um, but to answer the question, that was the first time that I took my camera onto a golf course, which obviously we'll never forget. But it was just really fun moving around a golf course. Whereas I kind of had this level set with my photography on everything being grand. And I'm very fortunate in that way that a lot of my stuff was from Yosemite where I'm above the valley, like looking back down at, at El Cap and Half Dome and just these wondrous shots. And it just felt like a like a clean slate, to be honest. And it let me have fun with it. And, you know, sifting through the gallery and finding those shots is a, a shot of Tiger Woods I posted. Um, that it's just him in a slither through the gallery and everybody is looking at him, both from my point of view, like the heads are looking at him and behind him, all the eyeballs are on him. And he's looking down, just focused on his next putt. Those are the kind of moments where you don't get in Yosemite at 6 a.m. waiting for the sun to come up. So that was really fun. But I I also love making sure that there's some kind of subject or landscape in the foreground to really show depth. That's something that Augusta really lends itself to. And that's something that I look for in a shot as well. The couple of my shots from Cyprus, like there's a shot of the 13th hole where in the foreground, there is something to show that depth of field and yeah matt aylward is a, a perfect example of how to fill the frame in a shot he is somebody whose photography that i kind of aspire some of my work to be like i know that he did a lot of work for augusta national the last tournament but just the way he fills a frame like mm-hmm. he can have the subject the golfer in the top right corner of a shot but makes the rest of the frame incredibly interesting as well. And that's something that I certainly look for in a shot personally, but also look to others for inspiration. And he's a perfect example of that. Yeah, because sometimes you look for those shots and that foreground is just like dead space. You know, it's uninteresting. It's just kind of there. But I agree, Maddie, awesome individual incredibly talented photographer both on the course and street and the guy can dance and golf he's like the full <laughs> packet we're, we're gonna get him all but he yeah big fan of, of matt and his work and everything he does because it's awesome when you went to the masters your first time and you're thinking about you know i'm gonna bring my camera i'm gonna be my lenses was your mindset just to okay i kind of know from watching Augusta on tv what i'm getting into i'm just gonna go in blind and shoot what catches my eye or were you on social or the internet looking at inspiration of other photographers going, oh, may I got to get a picture of that? Or that's something I didn't think about photographing. Like, what was your mindset going into it? I don't think I did any research, to be honest. Like, I think as a just as a golfer and a, a fan of golf and obviously somebody who jumps on the couch for a week every April to watch the tournament, you know what you want to see. And I didn't really have like a shot sheet of what I wanted to capture. And kind of going back to just the topography of the course. I think that was 
just surprising uh, the first time I was there. So didn't have any shots in particular um, going in, but well, um, I came, I came back with some shots I was really happy with. Well, and I think what you talked about using like the second time where you use the 7200 the whole time, and it goes back to that with the topography and everything else. It's like it's able to fill the frame with something interesting with your foreground with something. I mean, that people don't understand how far 10 from the T box all the way down to the bottom is. And it 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 gives you that opportunity to shoot something. It's it just add more to it by compressing all of that together with that longer lens. Agreed. I would love to know what the elevation changes from the tee box to the green. I don't know what it is, but that drop is, it's surprising to say the least, but you can find it. There is a side view, like map cut out of it that I've seen before. <laughs> it, it does exist and it is, it, it, yeah, it's definitely shocking. Yeah. I mean, even the 11th hole, there is a, a drop in elevation. Those, the tee box is way in the back. I, I want to say that the 11th hole was one of the more recent changes to the course. Mm. Uh, where they extended that hole. But yeah, you, you just don't get a sense of what the course fully feels and looks like on the screen. Like they have the moguls in front of the 11th green that you don't see. Um, and I think that that is part of the reason why a lot of players go right on that green. Um, because if you catch one of those moguls on the wrong side, that ball is just going to fly into the water. And then looking back from the 11th tee, one of my favorite shots from this year was... Um, I, don't, I don't I actually don't know who the golfer was in the shot, but he was at the peak of the fairway and you just have no sense of where he's aiming for. But yeah, just it's a fantastic course to shoot. And I hope I have the chance to to make it back out there again. Well, you'll like this. Um, I did the same thing as you. I was still in college in 2003 and I wanted to go over and shoot a practice round and my dad managed to get tickets for us. And I rented the 400 two-way Canon. So the like <laughs> massive beast yeah. of a camera. And I walked in there with that and was wow. sort of walking around shooting and carrying it around up and down all those hills and everything. At the time you could take yeah. a monopod to help hold it. I don't know what yeah. the rules are specific now, but yeah, it's like, and I did that so over long ago it it is a very special place to just have a camera out and i think it's changed and uh, of course i was doing what back in the day was interesting straightforward golf photos that everyone has pushed beyond and made it so much better like what you shot and everyone else but everyone should do that if you get a practice round take a camera with you just don't make mm -hmm. it a loud annoying one mm -mm. and it's honestly for any tour event like mm -hmm. taking your gear into a practice round um I feel like that's something that I would like to do more. Obviously, you know, on, on the West Coast, we have the farmers at Riviera. We have the AT&T Prime at Pebble. We have Fortinet at Silverado up in Napa. Mm -hmm. Like there are, there are a handful of PGA stops on the West Coast that I feel like I need to jump on and just head out there and, and get some practice round shots. Let's sure. do it. I'll go, I'll go down to the Pro-Am with you and do it 100%. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm making plans to try and be down there for it. Yeah, that's and that's one thing, you know, hearing you talk about your group of friends that you go out and do nature photos with. I mean, it's really cool when you're out with buddies who are also taking pictures on the golf course. But admittedly, I'm not one that's asking like, you know, oh, what did you do there? What was your settings there? Right. We might be driving, walking or driving the car and I'll say, hey, that's a really cool shot. Like, I don't have my camera. Somebody grab that or I'll just grab somebody else's camera and take a shot of it. But I, I would love, and kind of one thing I hope that happens this podcast is to find these people in our area. It's like, 
hey, let's go do that together, like walk and talk and shoot, because I think it's fun. And, you know, it makes a, a challenge, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm all in for it. Let's do it anytime you want. That's actually when you asked me to be on the podcast, that was one thing that I initially thought of was in the nature photography community, it's photographers meeting up in one place. Like I would drive on my own to the parks and meet other creatives there. And I don't really see that in the golf community. Like I don't see like four photographers meeting up to go for a round and just, you know, help each other frame shots and shoot mm-hmm. photography while playing golf. Like when I play golf, it's just my golf buddies. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I would love to see more of. Obviously, I know that there are uh, creatives in the golf world that are fantastic at what they do, like what's going on at Ramsell at the moment. There's so many creatives down there right now, kind of kicking off the season down there. And the work that those guys are doing is just phenomenal. And I feel like part of that creative drive and flow and excitement comes from being around others that are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything I want to put out there is in the golf world, connect with other creatives and meet up with them and just spit ideas off each other while on the golf course and help each other get that shot. Like if you have some space behind you you and the group behind you and say, Hey, like this shot looks fantastic down the fairway. Like, do you mind just like going down there and like hitting a ball or two and and getting that shot? Because that's what it is in in the landscape world it's like hey like that cliff edge looks amazing or that rock feature looks fantastic like i'd love for you to you know, go stand over there and um my wife has gone through that a handful of times like we were in joshua <laughs> tree like i have her just stand all over the place but yeah i haven't really had that opportunity to do that with creatives in the golf in the golf world yeah i i haven't either i mean i have again friends who have cameras who go out and shoot i am all on the same page with you it's something that i would absolutely love because i think there's two sides to it the one side is you have people who aren't as maybe experienced photographers who are maybe a little hesitant about wanting to join people who are kind of more established as a photographer in the space because they may feel intimidated which i think is the opposite of their thought right they should be thinking like how do i attach on to this person and learn what they're doing and at the same time like i feel like everybody who picks up a camera for the most part has something to contribute to somebody else whether they're brand new at it or they've been doing it for you know 13 plus years like whether it's a comment an eye looking at something like somebody has to contribute something of that nature and the other part of it is finding other people who are comfortable being art directed, right? So saying, hey, go down there and stand in the fairway and take that shot. I know the shot that I want to achieve by putting them down there. But I think it's also helpful when the person who's down there also has the same thought process as the the shot that the person's trying to take, right? That to me is sometimes difficult to find that person who is kind of willing to do that and understanding what you're trying to achieve. And then also finding people who are comfortable getting up at 6.30 in the morning so that we catch twilight <laughs> or catch a, good, oh, a yeah. good light, right? I mean, that's also very tough. It's like, no, I'm not waking up that early to take photos. It's like, but I don't want to go at noon when it's, you know, yeah. harsh as hell and it's not going to be worth it. And yeah. then I mean, you want to sit and do it at twilight, which is fine, but everybody else is playing golf at twilight. Like it's very rare people are getting up as early to get those shots. I, I think it's also a thing where just like when you're playing golf, if you play with better people, you get better. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's more people together working off of each other and pushing each other creatively, because you're going to see something that someone did when you were standing right beside them and you never would have thought about it. And I think you're always yep. going to learn and push yourself to be a better creative, whatever that may be. Agreed. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to not being afraid to ask the questions. Like looking back, like what were your, what was your exposure at? Like where was your F spot? F stop? Like those especially for those who are still 
getting comfortable with, with the camera, like those are really important questions that you shouldn't be afraid to ask. Agreed. Agreed. Maybe one thing we could do here collectively as a group is like when we post photos, putting that information down there so people can say like in the captions, like, okay, this is everything they did for that picture. And the other part of this conversation I want to get to, which we're eating up a lot of time and having a great talk, but your editing process, right? I mean, I, I want to get there, but telling people like, hey, this is what I did for this shot, half the story, but it's helping people understand, yeah. okay, depth of field and you know, Jeremy, if I'm not saying things right, you just please let me know. Shutter you. speed, whatever it may be. <laughs> like those are things that people can start to figure out because you don't, you know, you don't want somebody shooting a swing photo at one over 60 and everything's just a big blur and they don't understand why. Unless yeah. you do that on purpose, there's a reason for it. You can do yeah, it. It's true. And that's the thing is like, we've talked about this before. Someone comes into it new, looking at it a totally different way because of what their background is. And they're pushing it into something that a photographer that's been doing it for years would never think of because you get stuck in your way sometimes. So I think that's important to look at too. I think it's a fantastic idea to put the settings below a shot in the description. There, I've, I've seen photographers who do that and I think it's super useful. Sometimes like I don't know how they got a shot. Our friend Jeff Marsh just posted this ridiculous night, like astro oh. shot from Ramsdale. It looks like there's a laser beam attacking the hole. And I'm still trying to figure out how he shot that. But um, same for, I mean, I actually think he did post the settings down there, but still, like, I feel like I still don't get it. <laughs> what, um, what did you put in the golf hole to make it illuminate so much? Like, you know, where, like, did you set up a tripod, get this, get the shot, run to the hole, put it all together, run back? Like what's, and that's part of the reason for this podcast is to understand what the hell was going on when you took that awesome photo and how do I do that? Yeah, I, honestly, a lot of like, you had a clear night. That's obviously incredibly important for astrophotography. Um, there, there are some photographers I follow that do like drone exposure where they have like a light affixed to a drone and do the circles above the holes and yep. and that kind of stuff so that that's where my mind is going with this shot but i um i need to ask him i think that's I, i'm, I I'm looking at it right now i think that's what it is and we'll post this um the the photo we're talking about but yeah i think that's what it is i think it's two exposures and yeah. one with the drone hovering right over the flag to create that light because mm -hmm. it's not in the hole but it's very well done yeah, I mean that there could just be one light, the one ex one light fixture down there. He could have put like his iPhone in the hole and put mm -hmm. the flashlight on or something. Um, but he is incredibly creative and and obviously somebody that I think we all um, aspire to have our work be just as good as. Are there other people in the golf space that I mean? You mentioned Matt. You mentioned Marsh. Um, are there other yeah. people? You know, whether big names or not, that you're like, man, this this somebody you really enjoy looking at their pictures. Uh, yeah, um, there are, there's, um, there's a couple of the, obviously in the golf, in the golf world and some out of the golf world, Matt Gibson at Pinehurst is a good friend. He's a fellow Brit. Um, he does a lot of work for Pinehurst's social account. He does video photography. I actually ran into him. I met him on the second fairway, um, at the masters. He was, <laughs> he was shooting film and he had an Oakland A's hat on. And being from the Bay Area, I just asked him, I said, hey, you from the Bay Area? And he's just like, no, I think someone just gave him the hat. And we ended <laughs> up talking, you know, about, about photography and whatnot. And I ran into him again the next day, which is weird because there's so many people out there just to see mm -hmm. 
came out of all people again. And then we shared info. He's, you know, he, we broke bread in Pinehurst. He, he showed me around the resort. Um, got up at the crack of dawn to go shoot number two out there, which was fantastic. His work is, is brilliant. Nathan Kaler is in actually a similar role at uh, Bandon Dunes. He, he as part of the social team there. I think his Nathan Kaler, K-A-H-L-E-R. Basically any kind of PR shot you see of the resort is his and just absolutely phenomenal. He is a master of his craft and also a very nice guy. He showed me around Shorty's a couple months ago, which is the new 19 hole par three that's opening next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but as Bandon does, the views are fantastic and just the... Some of those holes would just be real, real fun. Um, and so Nathan is is somebody I would recommend everyone check out. RJ Gilbert is mm-hmm. really, really good. I love his work. He's a good guy. I love how he dives into black and white photography as well. I feel like there's, you know, like when you see somebody post on IG and it's a, a 10 picture carousel, there may be like one or two black and whites, but he's like, no, these are all black and white. Like being able to focus on i don't know if i haven't asked him if he is going out taking shots purposely in black and white or like with the idea that they will be you know finalized in black and white but he does a great job with his work outside of golf mike feechner i hope i'm saying his last name right his handle is picks dot on dot the dot pitch picks on the pitch he's the seattle sounders photographer um, oh. Some of his work is just brilliant. He sometimes dabbles into like double exposure stuff and it's just really, really good. Nicole Vasquez is the Anaheim Ducks and LA Angels photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, she also does some phenomenal work. And I feel like those guys are are worth mentioning and worth checking out. Wow. So you're drawing inspiration from a lot of different areas. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've you know, I've, I think you guys that as of now have maybe four or five podcasts out and i feel like the you know the, the same guys get mentioned and and rightfully so like the you know those guys um deserve the recognition i'd, I'd know that there are some that probably otherwise wouldn't be mentioned and i feel like i i need to give them a shout out well that's but, the whole point of the podcast and i yeah. think in the sports staff sports photographer world everyone has stepped up their games drastically and they get way more creative than they used to Cause it used to just be like, all right, sit out there and document the game, whatever's happening. And I think all the teams that have full-time staff now, which is most of them at this point, because of social, it's really become more impressive all around and it pushes everyone to be better. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I feel like it's the, it's the wave of social media, you know, Instagram, the, the work we see on that platform has changed the way that we present our work like i would say 80 percent of my work is all portrait like it's not landscape and that is because in my mind the way that i'm going to present this work is in portrait mode on ig to you know use every inch possible on our phones in our hand so that's at least speaking from my point of view like that's how instagram has changed the way i look at framing a shot um i, I should mention david cannon as well like he is a phenomenal photographer i've fortunate enough to know him he was a member at leicestershire golf club in england which is where i actually learned to golf my dad was a member at the time and knows david um and he's he shot over 120 majors he shot like 20 rider cups i think the only major he has missed in the last 40 years just because of covid was yeah. the november masters he is also someone who he obviously every 
iconic shot of Sebi. I mean, the Sebi shots, he is just iconic for those. Like even the ones where he went home with Sebi and did like the mirror training photos, but like the shot of him into the wind, like he is an icon of golf photography without a doubt. Yeah, the the pictures of Sebi playing golf on the beach, the one with J-Mo on his shoulders, um, just uh, Maria Olafabla on his shoulders. His catalog is just phenomenal. But yeah, he I was, I was lucky to meet him at um, the Masters last year. And uh, we I try and stay in touch with him, but he's just, he's on the go every week. He's at every event every week. He's, um, but yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, I think it's important to always look back at those people that have been doing it for so long because, yeah, there's always new stuff, but they were doing it in such a different way and with film and you're limited to what you could shoot. And it it's really an inspiration to look at the legends of the game. That's right. And that's why I mentioned David, his style is very documentarian. Um, if I'm using the right word, but yeah. um, I think you've re- referenced like Getty work. Like I think he worked for Getty for a long time. I think he's his own boss now, which is awesome. But yeah, there's, there's definitely the Getty work out there. That's very different to um, what we tend to see now with kind of the modern wave of the photographers. Hey guys, it's Jeremy here to talk about Precision Pro. Mike here. Back in the day, I did a lot of research on rangefinders and I came to the conclusion that Precision Pro was the best option for me. I had a different brand rangefinder in my bag for the longest time until I discovered the Precision Pro NX10 Slope. I love the easy to lock on target, the lifetime battery replacement warranty, the three-year warranty, and it allows me to change my skins for my personal touch. Mine has a custom skin from when I did a hundred hole hike for youth on course at Sweetens Cove last year. That way, every time I pull it out of my bag, I'm reminded of how good that day was. So make sure you go to precisionpro.com, use code PINS20, and get yourself a new rangefinder. Talk about the most important item in your golf bag, your glove. We here at Snaphook connected with Joe Lusa, the owner and creator of Benzie Golf Gloves, and have been wearing their gloves for the past year. As golfers, we put so much thought into our fit. It blows us away when people have old beat up or the standard big box manufacturing gloves. Benzie gloves are made of premium grade Cabretta leather at the price point that is hard to beat. Our favorite gloves are the Elephant Print 7210 and the Chapel Hill. Visit them at benzygolf.com and follow them on Instagram at benzygolf. Yeah. All right. So Mike, you want to get into, and I agree with you. I want to know about your editing process. Tell us if you can tell us what you would like to tell us. You don't have to tell us everything. We try to be pretty open about what your process of how you go about it is. And I'm very curious too, because it's one thing that I'm attempting to get better at is just to take my editing process to the next level. I don't play a whole lot with colors. I'd like to start to learn, understand how colors really affect the editing process. But how did you learn? Was it YouTube trial and error? And then, you know, just, yeah, kind of your thought process. One is you're taking the photo. Are you thinking about how you're going to be editing it? And then when you're actually sitting down and editing it, kind of like what's What's the the main things that you're you're hitting, right? Is it highlights? Is it contrast? Whatever. I would say usually when I shoot, I I try and stay a stop down on my exposure, um, just obviously to avoid overexposure. Um, you can always punch up the shadows or the exposure in post. But I'll be honest, like eight, like 85 percent of the work you see is edited through my phone. Like I am not jumping into Lightroom and Photoshop 
very often. If there is something that I want to remove from the shot, that's when I'll jump into Lightroom. But for the most part, I'm editing a lot of my work on my phone in Visco. Um, I've obviously have my preferred filters on there. And then I would say that the, fir the first things I look for is just making sure that the image is not overexposed. I like to sharpen it. I work with the saturation a little bit. I think obviously the weather has a huge influence on what the shot is going to look like. Like when I was in Boston last month, we had this lovely, like one day was was perfect. There was no clouds, just everything was bright. And then the next day was overcast and I prefer shooting in overcast conditions, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. I like, it really punches the colors out. That's, I think, kind of my comfort zone with, with editing. It's something that's a little overcast, but I definitely play with the colors. And I don't think I've really like talked through my editing process. I've had people reach out and ask like what my editing process is. And I kind of, I don't know how to tell them that I've... <laughs> um, I've never done it before. This is more words. Well, no, <laughs> um, but I was going to say, from my perspective, I expected you to have done more. Like I truly, mm -hmm. I'm impressed to hear that you are doing a lot of it on your phone and the phones can do amazing work these days. But I expected to hear more of in-depth Photoshop or Lightroom process. And it's makes it, yeah. it makes your work even more impressive. For sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's something that I don't think a lot of photographers out there are relying primarily on their phones. I know that there's a very good possibility that guys out there who are shooting on tour are quickly transferring to their phones and, and may have editors in the media center, like editing photos for them. But I think in some cases they are like jumping on Lightroom on their phone and editing that way. But that is my comfort zone. That's where I primarily edit. There are no S-curve tricks. I'm not working a whole ton on, on my images. I'm, I'm relying primarily on getting that shot. The, um, man, it's hard for me to kind of go over it, to be honest. When I think that's yeah. because you do it so second nature, you're thinking about the shot and it sounds to me like you're seeing it when you're shooting it and then just it's naturally a flow as opposed to some people will have to sit there and shoot a few different pieces of especially in a landscape you're shooting a few different pieces knowing that you're going to put those together and it's nice to hear that you're not overthinking that you're just out there in the moment and shooting the thing mm -hmm. yes i know that there's this trend on instagram now where the, there's these reels out there that they're like, why do you edit your photos so much? And the response is like, because it's mine, it's my art. And then you see this wave of incredibly well edited shots. And I think it does go back to, for some people, like, you know, jumping into the new Photoshop and making a house look like it's on this landscape in the Swiss Alps. Like that's, that's an art form, right? It doesn't matter if it's overly edited or not. I feel like that's what's really fun about photography is you you know, you make it your own. And that was something that a friend of mine very early on told me about is to try not imitate anybody else. You do what's best for you. You do your work. And the people who like that work or appreciate that work will come to you. Um, and that's always stuck with me on. That was literally like when I first picked up a camera like 10, 12 years ago. And I feel like I'm overly answering this question. But yeah, I don't take too much time to edit. And, so it would be safe to say you enhance your photos, but you're not necessarily editing them to look like something that it's not. Correct. Yeah. 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 When I think that sometimes is... that's, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, I think that's important because also what people don't realize always is the camera is designed to get, especially in a raw log format, you're designed to get all the information you can. And it's yeah. more information than what you're really able to see. So then you're just enhancing that by compressing down some colors or changing some things. There's the, oftentimes you've seen this where you take a photo and you're like, that's not what the sunset looked like even to my eye. And you're yes. just making yeah. it get to there or then pushing it to where you want it because it's yours and you want to make it yours. And I think you do yeah, a great I, job I, of making it yours. Thank hmm. you. I appreciate that. And and to go to like, you know, enhancing sunsets and you know what that looks like in an image. Going back to Cyprus, I, I took this shot of the 15th green literally right at sunset. I took about 10 shots on fast shutter and you could see just this yellow curtain of, of sunlight just cover the green. And I remember when I posted it on, on IG, on stories, I kind of posted it as side by side with just what an image from my iPhone looked like. Just because consciously I'm like, there may be people who see this who are like, that. that's not what it looks like. And so that's why I posted the side by side of the iPhone. Like it was just one of those windows of of light that was just unexplainable and to go back to this mindset of i don't try and overthink photos too much when i edit there are definitely some moments like if there is no wind and i get a great shot and you can't see the flag on the on the pen i'll go into a shot where i did have the, the flag fully waving in the wind and Put that on the shot. One of my favorite shots is from the 16th Abandoned Dunes, which is, I think, the most famous hole there. It's the first hole that they finished on the course. And as you leave the tee box, you kind of walk down a hill before you go up to the green. <clears throat> and I took this hill at the base of the hole of, between the tee box and the fairway, just staring up at the green. And uh, it's one of my favorite shots I've ever taken. And that was an example where I just added a... Uh, a, a different flag stick on there because um, the wind had surprisingly <laughs> on the coast in Bandon, there wasn't any wind at that moment. So I had to enhance it that way. But for the most part, not a lot goes into my editing. I would hate to have to be in an editing process where I'm spending 10, 15 minutes on every shot. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of speaks to the importance of having your sweet spots and having your presets that you are comfortable with. You know, I know that there are some guys who sell presets and, and it's not preset three and that's your shot. It's preset three and then pull and and push your way through it until you're happy with it. But uh, I hope that people don't, um, that the photographers out there don't see presets as, oh, I push a button and it's done. Like that's mm -hmm. just, I, I wish I wish that was, uh, was how the editing process was, but it's always good to have a starting point that you're comfortable with. Um, but yeah, with, with Visco, I've, I've found my, my kind of sweet spot. And I think it's fantastic to hear people want to know what the editing process is. And I, and I wish I had some, um, some crazy over the top advanced explanation for it, but I try and keep it as simple as possible. Well, I think that gives people great insight as to, you know, that these pictures are so natural in the colors and in everything else. And there's very limited touch because it helps people think, know that they can achieve something like that as well. Right. They don't have to be Lightroom or Visco or, you know, what other platforms out there, wizards, they can have the idea of I can go in and get this shot, do minimal editing and be good to go. And I agree. It's like, I, I use the auto button on Lightroom Classic all the time, but 
that's not how my pictures end up. Like I'm, I'm then messing with everything else to kind of adjust it how I want it, but at least it gives you kind of this baseline of to work off of. So I think, you know, for people to know that using presets, using these auto buttons are not your end image, but a way for you to get there. Yeah, absolutely. This, this definitely been times like you, if you slide, swipe through my phone, you see the same image for like three or four swipes because I'm just something I'm just not quite happy with. And mm -hmm. I'll stare at it. And then I'm like, come on, like, like I can't do that. I can't post that. So <laughs> there are times I do get caught up and, and sometimes it's just let it out there. Like mm -hmm. it's, you know, I feel like we are usually our, our biggest critics. Mm -hmm. um, Always. And I, I get hung up so many times on posting where my conscience is like, just post that damn thing. Just get it out. <laughs> Yeah, everyone what? should just put it out there at a certain point because we just talked about this on another another one that'll come out soon. It's pushing other people because you're just seeing it. You're just seeing more of more of this and more photos as opposed to just people dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um has the nature, the Yosemite, the other places, and, and then taking your camera on the course. Are you looking at golf? in a different way than you were before two years ago when you were taking golf photography? Like, are you seeing things differently compared to just walking from tee to green? Yeah, I think that's honestly where my appreciation of Mackenzie came from. Like he could frame a golf course. No one bunkers like he does, like the, the green complexes and the fingering that he left us with and sand traps and that, that old saying like, you know, I love looking at the bunkers, but I don't want to be in them. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's probably where the interest particularly in Mackenzie came from. And obviously you have like, you have so many other fantastic golden age architects, but none of them really came out West. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas Mackenzie blessed us with, you know, a handful of golf courses over here. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, do I wish I had my camera with me every round? Um kind of <laughs> but there are some times where i just leave it at home and if i'm playing a course that i've played you know 10 times i'm out there focusing on my swing but am i like still like taking photos on my phone absolutely but i think it's good to have that separation from the camera and the bag and and leaving it at home yeah but i think that's a good transition so when you are taking the camera out for instance you were able to just go out and shoot at cyprus you want to have a good round because you're at cyprus but you're also yeah. taking these amazing photos. I just looked at that one you talked about on 15 and it's so good. Now, what are you carrying with you in that scenario? That was honestly one round where I kind of didn't want to have the camera with me, but there was a part of me that said, I will regret not having it in the bag. And I talked to my caddy and I, and I showed him the camera and I, I know that, you know, obviously if you go to abandon though, the caddies will take as much out as possible. And that's because you know, they're carrying two bags for 36 holes for the most mm -hmm. part. And obviously it's incredibly important to make sure that the caddy's having as good of a day as you are. Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, I, I'd show my caddy the camera and he said, leave it in there. Let's do it. He said, I'm usually got two bags on me. I've only got yours. So it's technically less than carrying two bags. Mm -hmm. So let's go for it. So I took it with me. I, I only kept the 70 to 200 on it. I shoot on a Canon 5D3, which I feel like I'm still in the stone age shooting on that. No, nope. I'm just chomping at the bit to get an R5. Yeah. 
it's still a great camera and it still gives you everything that you ever would need. It's just a matter of the silent shutter. It's the only difference yeah. at this point. Like there's no reason if it's working for you, it's great. Yeah. It's a great camera. And that, you're, you're absolutely right. If it's doing the job, technically, is there a reason to get something new? No, but obviously, you know, the, the, the techie in, in me wants, you know, the latest and greatest, which I think we all deep down would love to have, but, but yeah, you have to underline the fact that it's still doing the job and I, I love the camera. It's my comfort zone. So yeah, I will shoot with it until it stops working. Are you doing any drone stuff? I mean, is video something that you're looking to dabble more in because you kind of like dial with the photography standpoint, but I mean, what's the next step for you as far as the next tool in your toolbox? Yeah. So I have, um, a Mavic pro, which is, I think the first drone that Mavic released. Mm -hmm. And that is also quite old at this point. I've dabbled with drone photography. Part of me is hesitant to shoot drone photography. And I think that's because I'm always so conscious of what's around me. Obviously, if you do shoot with a drone, you have to make sure that you're asking permission to fly over somebody's golf course. You can't fly drones in the national park system. And so I've done some drone work. I've, I've, I've done some abandoned. I love those shots, but and I, I feel like drone photography is almost some like required part. If you're going to work with a course, they want to see what the course looks like from above. So I feel like personally for me, that would probably be the next step is shooting more drone photography, but I don't shoot too much of it, but I really love the shots that I got. I think I, it was a cheap ranch, but yeah, that's something that I think I need to jump on a little more. Yeah. What about, what about the video side of it? Like using your camera for more video? Yeah, I have so much respect for the guys that are shooting video. It's just the editing process is so much more difficult and time consuming than photography is. I shot wedding videography for a year. I think that cool. year I shot six weddings. Wow. Um, and <clears throat> the creative in me like loves creating. I mean, the story is there throughout the day, but to encapsulate a day long event into four minutes, five minutes. Um, that was part of the fun of the editing side of it, finding the music that you're going to use for the final piece. That's the kind of stuff that I loved about editing. I would say that I just don't have the time <laughs> to jump into videography again. Um, maybe the patience as well. I also found it really difficult to color correct and edit on that side on the video side. And that's why I have like an incredible respect for videographers and what they do. So, so much. You see those reels of people do like, they'll be at a college football game and it's like the before and the color correction. You're just like, what? Like that's, it's yeah. so wild. Yeah. It's yeah. just a reminder I, that there are people that that's all they do for a living is the color correcting or the editing. And it is so time consuming. You have to be so good at it, especially with a yeah. small child. It's tough to, to balance that. <laughs> Uh, Mike, I know that you have done more and more um, videography work, um, both through drone and on the course. Um, is that something that you've always done? And if not, like are you, what kind of struggles and what improvements are you seeing with your video work? Um, yeah, I struggle a lot with it. Color correction being one of the things that I struggle with and getting getting more into video is my 2024 goal that I'm using um, an app called Udemy. Uh, which you could literally, and we talked about it before, but you could literally learn anything about anything. And they outline it by like 
it's almost like taking a course. They have, you know, different tasks, different homeworks. They give you example, like video to chop up and do that. I just, I'm, I struggle with the confidence portion of it all where like cutting it up and putting it together and being like, that's sick. Like that is a struggle for me. And then like, well, wait, what if I were to do this? Like overcomplicating it, right? Oh, I could do this. I could do that. It's like, no, do it, have the confidence that it's sweet and then go on from there. But yeah, I'm trying to do more of that and just better quality. I mean, one of the things that I like to see more of when scrolling through social is like high quality content, like content that makes me stop and say, that's awesome. And, and even like, you know, in print, whether it's Golfer's Journal or Lynx Magazine or, you know, like those specifically, because it's got a certain vibe to it. That's really cool. Like that's the things that make me stop and like challenge me to be better. But yeah, from the video side, like color correction, I mean, a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm messing with like edits, like exposure and all that stuff. But when it comes to color correction, I'm out. Like that's something I'm just not even remotely close to being good at. But I want to be better at it because it's just another, again, tool in that toolbox of things to do. Do you find yourself shooting in portrait for the purpose of posting it on social? Um, Jeremy's going to hate this answer. I do. <laughs> so whether it's video or photo, I have been. But uh, after talking with Jeremy and Han and some other people, it's like, you can always punch in, you can always crop. So I went out recently and was like, okay, I'm only going to do video today. I want to put something cool together for stone break. So I did everything as landscape. If nothing was portrait and just thought the thought of everything will just crop down. So, you know, it's when you're doing something like that, even with a drone, right? Unless you have the mini three pro that does do a vertical photo. It's like, okay, I'm going to shoot it this way, but knowing I'm only going to be using this sliver of it for social. So it's like when you're comp doing the composition of it that way, there's so much going through your mind and then, oh, making sure all the settings are right. And I'm actually capturing the image I want to. It's just, it's so much more going on in your mind than just putting the camera to your eye and pushing the button going, yeah, got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and being it's... smooth. One, one of the things I struggle with is I, I, get a, I don't know if I have a shaky hand or what, but I've been trying to understand like how people are so steady when they're doing stuff, whether it's not on a gimbal or they're just running and gunning, like using a strap, but holding it right. Like understanding how to keep it from being so shaky and smooth is another thing I struggle with. And I think even the drone, it's, I catch that where it's tough to get the smooth move of like the drone spinning around something without having like you, your thumb moves just a little bit and it takes it off center and you, yeah. it, it is a, a different learning curve for sure. Yeah. I don't know his last name, but Brandon Ski on Instagram, he took out a gimbal to the US Open at LA Country Club this year. And probably my favorite reel of the year was his. And he was following Rory and Brooks, just some really phenomenal stuff. And I'd love to see more of that, I think. Um, it's obviously incredibly tough to move around a golf course, let alone a tour event where you have thousands of people around you. Um, but seeing that kind of, I think that's what's different about uh, what Brandon did there and why I think that stood out so much to me is because no one's really doing that. Like you see a lot of video where it's stationary, but to have that movement as well. And that's kind of something that going back to what I, you know, when I shot weddings for one year video, um, you know, and having like a gimbal and moving around people and trying to trying to enhance those shots as opposed yeah. to make them all stationary is super important and to make them all seem smooth and seamless is just 
an art form that takes a lot of practice and work. Um, but, but yeah, Brandon mastered that. And I absolutely love that, that reel that he put together. Especially at a live Uh, event. Cause it's one thing if you're shooting a commercial and you're like, okay, let's do that again. But at a live mm -hmm. event like that, you're just, you have to go with what's happening in the moment. So I respect you doing wedding videos because that is not an easy (laughs) job at all. Stressful. I am. I just sent you uh, that reel uh, to the snap Poke account so you can see it just so, so good. And then he followed it up with some like fantastic work of the women's us open at pebble. It's been really fun seeing this new wave of creators get out on the golf course and do fun stuff like the, and, and again, no, no knock on Getty by any means they take, you know, there's also some great photos, but like having this new age of golfers who are putting in a, or golf photographers that are putting it in a different light is a lot more fun for me to see personally. Have you gotten any opportunities based just strictly on social or connections to shoot, you know, maybe not a tour event, but um, like one of these outings that some of these groups put together? Uh, So Golfers Journal picked up some of my images from from the Masters the last two years. Every year, Tom Coyne has put out a Masters essay. I think the Wednesday before the tournament and they've given that I was out there as a patron both years, taking shots during the warm up, uh, during the practice rounds and just posting them through social and, and through the broken tea society. They, they reached out and asked if they could use those to accompany Tom's essay. Um, so they've, they've used some of my work. Um, I think I was in the digital version of the most recent issue and um, gosh, not much to be honest. My landscape stuff has been picked up a couple of times by different magazines. I'm like a shoe model in one magazine. Hey, <laughs> um, doing it all. But that kind of, yeah. Um, but yeah, not too much, to be honest. I've, I think a big part of that is reaching out yourself and, and doing the work on your end and not waiting for that moment to come and, and making it happen. And I know that we're, you know, that this community is small and I feel like everybody's there to help each other out, but it's not going to happen without people knowing that you're interested in doing it. So I think 2024, I'd love to shoot a tour event. That's probably like a high-end goal of mine is to be out there inside the ropes shooting. Um, I feel like I'm ready to do it. I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable enough in my work. Obviously, imposter syndrome is real. Um, mm-hmm. I had a little of that when you guys asked me to be on here, but obviously I'm, I'm sitting down here chatting with you guys now. And I think part of that is, again, it's, it's kind of like freezing before posting something like you you know, if you just, if you don't make that final jump, then nothing happens. It's like yep. the Michael Scott quote, you, know, <laughs> you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. Good quote. Well, I don't think we could fluff you up any more than we already had this entire podcast, but I will say, you know, you, you are somebody that I personally look at with photos for inspiration to say, you know, you know, this is a good shot or whatever. And what's funny is that when we went to Yosemite, uh, my girlfriend and I back, I don't know, whenever it was, I sent her your photo and she had already saved your photo as inspiration to take that photo. So she was like, where did you find That's this? Like, oh, I talked to him all the time on Instagram. She's like, yeah, I want that picture. And I was like, oh, okay. Which, uh, which photo was it? It's what is that glacier point at the top where you got kind of the turn of the road and it's like right there, uh, right? That's yeah. the one she wanted. We ended up not, or whatever, I, I screwed up by not getting it. Uh, but she's like, we'll go back and do it. Um, but yeah, let's kind of knock out our, our last bits of questions. Um, yep. and then kind of give Andy the rest of his day to, to do what he needs. 
So what's in the bag? You had already kind of spoke about it a little bit, but kind of tell everybody when you're going out to play golf with your friends or by yourself, what's the setup you're taking with you? Honestly, it depends on the course. If it's a course that I want to shoot, I'm taking everything with me on the trip. So my bag's kind of light. I have one 5D3. I have a 2470. I have an 85 1.2, which is my only prime, but my favorite lens but it's just shooting at, shooting at 1.2 is just it's it's absolute butter i i i love that lens um but that being said it doesn't lend itself very much to golf photography in my opinion um and that's why my i tend to go with the 70 to 200 if i were just to have one lens it would probably be that one kind of like going back to um this year at augusta shooting everything in 70 to 200 mm-hmm. i feel like that gives you Enough to punch in if you want to get a photo of a green complex from the fairway or the tee box. It allows you to play with with framing um, if you can punch into 200. Whereas I think I still need to jump into shooting more wider stuff on the golf course, um, but it's not quite my go-to. Yeah, that's that's what I have in the bag. And, and so for people who don't know, what is the camera body as a Canon? It's Canon, yeah, Canon okay. 5D3. Um, I think they have a, a Mark II, Mark III, and Mark IV. I mm-hmm. don't think they made any after Mark IV. I think that's when they jumped to mirrorless. Yeah, Canon has officially switched over to everything they're making now is for the mirrorless bodies, the RF lenses. But, I mean, the 5D was the game changer for Canon, period, just with video and everything else. Yeah. And it is still an amazing camera that you can pick up at a reasonable price these days because of the mirrorless that will take just as good as photos as anything that they make right now. Like, I think stick with it as long as you can. So now I think you brought this up earlier. The question is hashtag frame it. What photo are you putting up in your house? If any of your favorite photos that you've taken. Um, Gosh, can I have a couple? <laughs> well, I think I think you definitely deserve it's like at least one golf photo, at least one nature photo to start with, because they're very different in a way. But I, I would love to hear your take on those. I think um the sentimental choice is me and my dad um at Amen Corner. Uh that would be up there. Um Tiger through the patrons. Um that is a shot that I've that I absolutely love and I keep coming back to. Um and then probably the sixteenth the abandon that we uh, talked about a little earlier. Um those are probably the three that stick out immediately um golf wise. Gosh, like landscape. I have to quickly double check. Let's see. Um man. I mean I wanna I would hang probably the, say I wanna hang the ahead, com- the comet photo up in my house because it's mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> So that was uh, shot by my my buddy Cody. That is his photo. Um, that is comment Neowise from a couple of years ago. That is actually a, a composite shot. So that was that was full daylight when he took that picture. And um, obviously, I, it's I think it's hard to explain because I think a majority of listeners will be not looking at this photo. But it's pinned on my account if you do want to go take a look at it. But he we captured Neowise from a different spot. Um, and he did his magic. He's a fantastic photographer. Um, his name is Cody Conk. Um, Cody C O N. And yeah, I was lucky enough to meet up with him and get to stand there on at Glacier Point, looking down at 
8,000 feet of exposed air. Yeah, that was, that was a really fun morning. <clears throat> and that's just, that was one of those mornings that were up. I think I got two hours of sleep at my campsite in the valley that morning. Um, and then, yeah, we got there with, we got to see Neowise for about half an hour, just float through the sky. And then we were in Glacier Point. So we, we walked around and took some more shots while we were there, but yeah, that's a fantastic one. I, I wish I could say that that was my photo and my edit, but that's all Cody. Um, the, the, one of the other shots I have pinned on my account from Samuel Boardman, uh, on the Oregon coast, that would probably be the one that I, um, would put on a wall. And that's of natural bridges. I'm wearing a yellow jacket there to kind of make myself pop, you know, in the middle of that shot. And that mm-hmm. was, um, I, I, I was the only one there. I didn't have anybody with me. That is uh, my camera on a tripod uh, with an intervalometer uh, that probably um, kept taking shots every 10 seconds for about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, obviously in, in that situation, you just have to hope that one of them works. And that one was just perfect. And that was a moody morning. The blues in the ocean are all natural. I didn't I didn't punch any blues in there. Um kind of going back to i guess my my minimal edit style but yeah that's just that's how the water's looking in oregon it's it's just absolutely crazy along the coast there um i highly recommend anybody who just needs to get a a a breath of fresh air and go see some incredible landscape go check out the oregon coast so one one of the things i think i said i I can appreciate so much more is your willingness to be adventurous to take these photos like are you going out to do this Oregon as like, I'm going to go take, I'm going to go here and do these photos. Like that was the purpose of the trip. Yes. Um, for, I think more for nature and landscape photography than golf. Like I am doing a shot sheet. I'm going into Google maps, creating a map with pin, with needle, with pin needle, what needle points, pin needles. Yeah. Same difference. Places that I am very much interested in getting photos of. Um, I did a road trip. I did an Oregon coast road trip earlier this year and just anytime i'm at the california oregon border i'm hitting up redwood national park avenue of the giants um samuel boardman and that's uh, just one corner of the world that you just absolutely cannot miss like if you you're flying out to bandon and you're, and you're landing in portland um i know the fastest way is taking the five down and then cutting directly west but if you can fit in an extra day just go down the coast and you just you get to take in a lot more of of um what oregon is you obviously get like a very good view of it from the coast along the course is abandoned but yeah it's it's one of my favorite places to be it's gorgeous now on that shot how many times did you walk back and forth in that <laughs> but that's my i, I want to know some logistical questions were you just like doing your walk roughly in the same area back and forth or just two passes what was it um what's actually funny is um my most recent uh, post, I posted a, a different shot from there a couple of days ago, but that little arch, that natural arch, that natural bridge is, um, it's quite narrow as you would expect from looking at the picture. But I think I walked back maybe like five or six times. Um, I feel, I mean, I feel like it's like a little cliche to have the bright yellow photo or sorry, the bright yellow jacket. Um, but in those kind of shots, like you just need that little punch of color to get across that somebody is down there. Um, and kind of like you said, like in a lot of my shots, I I try and have like a a person or a subject to show the scale of the shot. And 
Um, in this case, that's what I did, but it is quite narrow. It's, it's pretty gnarly getting down to that little walkway. Um, but yeah, it's, that's kind of where I, I, my adrenaline kicks up and I just get super pumped for a shot like this. So, and looking at like your Avenue of the giant one, so obviously not as big of a walk. So this, for those who can't see it, obviously a podcast, you know, video, it's a picture of Andy standing in the middle of the street and it's a, looks like an early morning straight shot. The, the trees, the redwoods are just lined up. I mean, is that a tripod on your phone or are you doing the interval shooting with that as well? Like how I, I struggle with doing pictures of myself with my camera. Um, are you just Bluetoothing to your phone and shooting it that way? Uh, so this, yeah, this is on the 5D3 and the 5D3 is so old that it doesn't have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth um, built oh. in. So this is um, me with a old school intervalometer that plugs into the camera and just making sure I have the frame that I'm looking for and just walking in this case, walking right down the middle of the road. And this was, I think in January, the right before COVID um, and Avenue of the Giants used to be like the main highway to get up to Northern California. And then they, they built the actual highway right alongside it. So, you know, on a rainy, cold January morning, I think it was during the week I took the road trip. Um, there's not a lot of cars. So I was in a position where I could park alongside and set up my tripod in the middle of the road and just kind of have that um, comfort of knowing that there's probably not going to be a car coming for a couple minutes. Yeah, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the burst shutter. So rapid fire questions and we're going to go. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. You already answered this one, but I'll ask it anyway. Lightroom, Lightroom Classic, Visco. Yeah, it's gonna be at Visco. If I do jump on um, the laptop, it's it's in Lightroom. Yeah. Okay. All right. Morning or twilight? Morning. Morning. I know that a lot of people tend to pick twilight, but I'm just an early riser. I'm a, a dew sweeper on the course. Um, I think for I know this is like supposed to be like lightning round, but no, no, you're yeah. fine. Um, oh. I think I think I prefer the mornings. A big part of that is because no one else is awake. Like at twilight you get your crowds and i think this kind of probably goes back to like the national parks and shooting landscape photography no one realizes that the best in my opinion the best time of day to catch the views is sunrise because there's literally no one else awake mm -hmm. um and it's kind of same on the golf course so i like not having like a group in front like i can play as quick as i like um and i feel like there's something about i mean you get long shadows sunrise or sunset there are probably some pictures you see that you don't know if it's sunrise or sunset, but personally for me, I, I, I like the early rise. Mm -hmm. Okay. Walking or riding? Walking. Walking. Absolutely. Okay. And yeah. photo or video? We know this answer. Yeah. Photo. Okay. Now, would you rather take pictures at a national park or a golf course? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, man. I would say golf course. I feel like I've I've made that full transition where most of my stuff is golf photography, and it's in, like like I would say probably like ninety percent of the following I have on Instagram is from my uh, my landscape photography, and I always wonder like what's going through my their minds like they're like oh I follow like you know landscape photographers are traveling the world, and then I now this dude is posting golf photos like where the hell did that come from <laughs> probably like like single-handedly changing people's algorithms like they're probably seeing more <laughs> golf stuff 
They're like, what's a myopia? Why is this popping up on my, <laughs> on my feet? Never heard of this national park. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Myopia national park. <laughs> All right. Fun. Zoom lenses or prime lenses? Zoom. Swing photos or landscape photos? Landscape. Landscape. Yosemite or Banff? Whew, man. <laughs> wow. Those are my, that's one, two for parks for me. For um, sure. I would, I would say Banff only because I've been to Yosemite so many times. Um, I've been to Banff once. I would love to get back up there and have like a, a fresh perspective on the park and those places I haven't been able to visit. I went up there um, in the winter and there's like Moraine Lake right outside of uh, Lake Louise is closed mm -hmm. during the winter. Like that's obviously probably the number one spot that people want to go to when they head up that way. Um, so I haven't seen that yet. Um, but I mean, not to, not to discount Yosemite, like whenever I roll into the Valley, like I still have those pinch me moments, like, holy shit, like, there's El Cap. Yeah. Like yeah. 4,000 feet above me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, I have been to both as well. And you're right. Going into Yosemite, you're always just taken away by everything. And then driving through Banff, going to like, what was it? Ice Parkway or Ice Highway yeah, or whatever. Ice Fields Parkway. It's yep. just like everything, you feel like everything is bigger, but at the same time, you just feel like you can still see the detail of everything really well, which <laughs> is just mind blowing to me. I mean, we drove and like, if had I been just me or like me and my girlfriend and we weren't with the in-laws, I would have been saying like, pull over, pull over, pull over, pull over, pull over. But I had to just sit and be like, oh, there's a sick shot. There's a sick shot. There's a sick shot. I just <laughs> let them all pass me by. It was like, oh, God. Yeah, that's so I went with a photographer buddy and that's that's the the beauty of being with another creator is you can pull over and take a U-turn a mile down the road and go back to that shot that you want to get. Um, yeah. And I've had, you know, I've had plenty of those moments where like the Oregon coach trip, um, a couple months back, um, I did the Utah national park loop with a person who's not a photographer, but just was down for the, down for the trip. And those, yeah, you feel like you like, ah, that means they don't care. Like they, I'm just, I'm just going to keep driving. But in my head, I'm like, man, that was a really good shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been there in those moments. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> if you see yeah. the shot, stop and take it. That's the rule. Like you, you don't know when you're going to be back there. You don't know when the light's <clears throat> going to be nice. You just have to take advantage of it. Yep. Yeah. And speaking of like those one-off moments, is that's what I see a lot of creators who are are hired to get the best possible shots. Like whenever I'm shooting, like I'm not staying in one place for like two three hours or two three days waiting for the best light or best conditions. Like sometimes just have no option but to shoot what's right in front of you and, and make the best of it. Um, so that's another reason why you should just always stop and take it because you just mm -hmm. don't know when you'll be back. Mm -hmm. I think that transitions well to our last question, which is what would your tips be for aspiring shooters coming out now, picking up a camera? I like going back to earlier, like don't be afraid to ask the questions. Like if you do see a picture and you wonder how that shot was taken, like what what shutter speed you were at, um, et cetera. Don't be afraid to reach out. I know that there's probably some creators out there who I don't think are um, as open to sharing that info as others, but um, 
but just don't be afraid to ask the questions. Um, shoot as much as you can. Um, that's the only way of learning is to shoot, make the mistakes, um, welcome feedback um, mm -hmm. from those in, in the in the photo world or your friends. And I know like if you ask like your mom, like, oh, what do you think of this photo? She's always going to say, oh, that's a banger right there. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, get, get honest feedback, like join communities. Like Reddit is a great forum for feedback. Um, um, I know that on the Golfer's Journal, the Broken Tea Society, like they have a creative channel where people share their work all the time and ask for feedback. Um, and I think you just don't learn until you've made some mistakes or two. And I remember like, I've like, you know, you scroll down to your, your first few Instagram photos and, you know, they're, they're not going to be as good as where you are in a few years time. And that's because, you know, you, you figure out where your comfort zones are, you go through the mistakes, the practice, but just being, getting a, a camera comfortable in your hands and seeing something in front of you and knowing exactly what to do within like two seconds, you know, window that you have to take a shot sometimes. Um, that's obviously where you'd like, where you need to be at, at some point down the road. Mm -hmm. I feel like I answered that horribly, by the way. <laughs> no, actually no. you answered it very well. I mean, that's, it, that was a great answer. And I think what a lot of people need to hear to me, the one thing that stood out was, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people is using your own social to see your evolution as a creative, right? I mean, that's Jeremy and I have been talking about it. that's, and you know, it's your portfolio. Right? That's what people are seeing yeah. nowadays. It's where they're going. <clears throat> And if you're not seeing an evolution of yourself from five years ago to now, I mean, that's also something that you could look back and go, well, it looks the same. Why is it not getting better? And then understanding from there, what do I need to do to get better? So that in two years down the road or six months down the road, these photos are looking different than when I first started. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you guys use it, but like saving photos on Instagram and oh. keeping folders, like I have my inspo folders that I send stuff to all the time. Um, and again, like, I think it's incredibly useful to have those images or those photographers that inspire you to, you know, have the sense of where you want your work to be. Um, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, like you are creating your own work and it's, um, that's, what's going to find your niche. Like I look at stuff all the time, like Christian Hafer stuff is just phenomenal. And I, I strive to be at the level that, that he is. I feel like he finds those viewpoints and the way that he works with colors is fantastic and um, inspiring. And he's a prime example of this like modern wave of photographers who are absolutely killing it. And he has his own style and, and yeah, I looked at his work a lot. Awesome. Good. Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for jumping on, man. Um, it, it really means a lot. Your insight has been awesome to talk to. For people who are not following you, let them know where they can find you. Let us know your Instagram. Let us know your website. Maybe what you have coming in the future that people can look forward to. Uh, my Instagram is Andy Tupman, A-N-D-Y-T-U-P-M-A-N. Um, same for the website, just with .com at the end. Future-wise, I actually, I'm going into 2024, like not really knowing what it looks like. I feel like I've had such a packed year already that i'm content with that and the holidays are coming i'm just going to chill out um have more time at home but obviously the opportunities for you know for for um for the new year 
are going to present themselves, I think, pretty soon. And I feel like any of us who are just golfers, we obviously have to plan ahead for trips. Like, mm-hmm. I got buddies like, hey, should we go back up to Bandon again? Um, I'll probably be down in Pebble a couple of times. Um, you know, I've, I want to make it down to San Diego. There's a couple of courses down there. Um, Photography-wise, like, I'll have the camera with me. But as far as what's laid out, um, to be determined. Sounds like there's opportunity for you to to connect with people and get some jobs rolled up. So if you hey if you're listening, you got something for somebody, hit up our boy here. Yes, sir, and we'll we'll definitely connect and play um, very soon, Mike. Yeah, well, Jeremy, how uh, how often rude. are you out here, Jeremy? <laughs> well, that's what that's what I was going to ask you. How often are you out here on the West Coast? Uh, pretty good amount. I mean, with I get out there enough. I have a good friend that lives down in Redwood City. Um that I need to come and visit anyways and see Mike. I was just thinking, I was just looking at the dates for the AT&T Pro-Am. I feel like we have a meetup around then. Seems like a good plan to me. I'm all for that. I think that'd be awesome. That's yeah. creeping up quick. So last week of January? Yep. January 20, January 31st through February 4th. I was just looking at it because I would I love that tournament and I would love to come out and hang for a few days. I think what's actually going to be fun about the Pro-Am this coming year is it's now a, a marquee event. So yep. We'll get the top 50. There's fewer celebrities. They've, they've taken away the Monterey Peninsula course for the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's going to be a, a, a more competitive and a more sought after event, which I think is going to yeah. be fun. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's let's close this out and then we can uh, have a quick conversation offline about setting that up. But Andy, thank you, bud. Again, so appreciative. Yeah, you're an inspiration. Mike, Jeremy, thanks so much. I love your stuff and... There's no imposter syndrome. You're killing it. (laughs) I appreciate that, guys. Thanks again. Cheers. Yeah. Keep snapping, everybody. Keep snapping.